This is episode 22 of LangFM, the podcast where I talk to people at the intersection of language and technology. My guest today is Tess Witte, a translator, fellow language podcaster, and a fellow European who now lives in Utah. We'll talk about how Tess got there, about marketing and podcasting and some other things. But first off, we talk about what really matters in life. There was one question I wanted to open with, actually, is I read an interesting article the other day, which was sort of making the rounds on Twitter about the Swedish habit of fika. And I was just wondering if you were keeping that uh, tradition alive where you are at the moment, if you have started that in your own family as well. Uh, no, not really. We don't have a lot of sweet stuff yeah. at home, but we I, I do drink coffee, but... As soon as I go to Sweden, we that's how we socialize, yes. Yeah, and we have something similar in Germany when it's called, uh, you know, cake and coffee, coffee and kuchen, basically, which I think is kind of similar. It's a big deal. It was just interesting to see all these, because there were several articles about it, and I thought, yeah, well, it's a normal thing to do. What's so special about it? But, uh, well, if you say, you know, uh, kids are busy in the afternoon with sports activities, that's probably not really enough time for things like that i guess no no uh but if i mean i when i was working in sweden at the telecom company we always had fika pause in the afternoon and socialized that way yeah so it's even uh, an established tradition in offices right yes yes and it doesn't even if you're busy you just take time off and socialize with your colleagues which brings us already to your personal background um, a little bit, because you were not born in the U.S., but you came to the U.S. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your uh, personal background is in Europe? Uh, yes, I was born and raised in Finland as a Swedish-speaking Finn, only studying in Swedish schools. And uh, basically, my, my parents lived in Sweden before I was born, and my siblings my sister moved to Sweden when I was six years old because she's 14 years older than me. Mm. So I, from the start, grew up with sort of two cultures and two, um, well, I've never known Finnish very well, so not two languages, but... Yeah, one and a half. Yes. <laughs> I think it's similar in Belgium to some extent, yeah. Uh-huh. So I've always been interested in languages. I started... Um, studying languages from third grade and I after graduating I moved to Sweden and I, I had been working there um, since then until we moved to the United States and and I wasn't planning on moving to to the United States I just met mm. this this nice American that uh, <laughs> convinced me to move over there because his job is so specialized that he sort of has to go where the jobs are he's a professor in chemical engineering and so when my son was two years old and I was pregnant with our second child we moved to Utah is that where he's uh, originally from or is that because of the job the job he's from Oregon so yes and uh, we were gonna stay here for a few years and it's been 14 years now wow <laughs> But I think that happens to a lot of expats, at least that's my, my experience from the, the people I know and talk to is that 
um, especially when you don't know how long you're going to stay because it's the company or the institution you work for that decides. Uh, first of all, you don't know. And then sometimes you you may end up really liking the place they send you to and then you find a way of staying longer or maybe even staying for life, which is certainly what happens here in Belgium with, uh, you know, NATO and the international institutions and, and big companies. So uh, that's definitely something that happens. Did, did you find it difficult to settle in in the US or, or was it uh, was it rather easy for you? Yeah, it was difficult. I moved from an ultra-liberal country to an ultra-conservative state and I was depressed for three years. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, all the Scandinavian countries is basically like socialism from an American, I mean, at least from for some Americans from that perspective. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you know, but Utah is the headquarters of the LDS or the Mormon Church. So they yes. are more conservative than other states. But I seem to understand that there's a maybe not a big community of Swedish people or Swedish speaking people in Utah, but at least some. Yes, surprisingly many. And most of them are women, actually. I know maybe 20 families hmm. that are Swedish. And for example, we have a book club. Um, we used to be 16 women and now we're maybe 14 women. So we have a Swedish book club and read Swedish book and discuss them. That sounds great. And we used to have a Swedish school where I was teaching Swedish to uh, teenagers, but um, everything was volunteer work and it was hard to fit everything in. And when the kids get older, they have other interests. So right now we only have a Swedish club. So we meet for the big Swedish traditional holidays. So it's, uh, it's like the big uh, community events, like like Christmas, for example? Well, we, we, we have a Christmas party, but it's combined with the St. Lucia. I, I think I once read a book to my daughter about uh, Santa Lucia, and <laughs> she's still a huge fan of that. And I think what she particularly liked was the idea of wearing uh, like candles on your head, mm -hmm. because I think there's one girl right in the group that gets to wear this crown of candles, which, which must have been very fascinating to her. Mm -hmm. Yes. But it's definitely a nice tradition. I mean, you said you found it difficult initially to to settle in, but um, did you? Was that also because you were trying to reorient your professional life? I mean, how did how did that how did that go? Because I think you don't. I mean, you were interested in languages, you said, but you uh, didn't study languages per se. I think I did study languages from from third grade until I graduated from the university i, I oh, okay. studied have studied six languages in total which which ones <laughs> well uh, swedish my mother tongue and then finnish and english and german and french and italian that's quite impressive and a little bit of spanish but you know, after moving here you if you don't use them you sort of well, lose them i think they would come back fast but I basically have been focusing on maintaining my my native skills for my profession. Yeah, that makes sense. So before we moved, I was working as a mar international marketing manager for a, for an international telecom company in Stockholm. And uh, when we moved to the United States, I I was having a two year old, and I was pregnant, and I was used to one year's maternity leave and working. 30-hour weeks as a manager without and so the situation here looked a lot different yeah. and um, I was not willing to sacrifice my time with the kids to work 40-50 hours as a marketing manager 
and I didn't have many contacts here in that area mm. when we moved here. So I started looking for ways to work from home and I tried all sorts of strange alternatives that uh -huh. I'm glad I'm not working with anymore. Until somebody, someone said, a friend said, well, you love languages and you're really good at writing and uh, why don't you look into translation? So I started looking into it and I did some research and I read up on it and uh, I changed my resume and started signing up on these um, like uh, pros and mm -hmm. became a member of ATA and, uh, and so forth. And, and after receiving my first job, I thought that was so much fun that I've never looked back since. That's great. And it sounds like you went pretty much all in with the whole translation thing. Yes, so, yeah. sort of, but I was still uh, uh, raising small children at the time, so I could start it gradually and build my business up from there. Yeah. Does that also apply to the skills? Did you sort of acquire the skills over time? Um, I mean, I was especially thinking about this uh, because of translation tools like like CAT tools, for example. I mean, you can't just pick them up on a day, I think, or just, just learning by doing. At least I would imagine that's quite difficult. So you probably attended like seminars, trainings organized by the associations, that kind of thing? Yes, yes, I did. Because otherwise I would imagine it's, it could be very difficult for someone who didn't follow the classical path of, you know, you know, uh, university translation course and so on to, to get into that uh, profession. Yes. Um, I know many people that went about it the other way, like my way, starting with a profession and then getting into translation. But yes, I did a lot of training and dove right in and bought, um, uh, Trados after, I don't know, a few months mm -hmm. and did the training and have been learning ever since. Uh, continuing education and learning is one of my passions. So that's what I've been doing a lot to, to get into the profession. Uh, do you have a specialization for translation things that you focus on with your translation work? I would imagine it's something related to business and marketing yes. mostly. Yes, because I have both an education and a professional background in marketing, that is one of my specializations. But I also, before becoming a translator, I worked for a telecom company and I was a product marketing manager for internet services. So I have also specialized in IT. So I translate a lot of software, corporate communications, marketing material, uh, employee education material, courses online, that sort of thing. And I would imagine your background sort of being between or in two cultures gives you an advantage, uh, an advantage because you can be sort of uh, the bridge between, let's say, an American company and Swedish market or the other way around. Yes. Um, right now, one of my sort of unique selling points is uh, that I, uh, I am bilingual and I have a cultural experience. I've lived more than 10 years in both cultures and languages, so I can certainly help adapt their message to the market they want to reach. And um, I seem to remember from something I, I heard about you or read about you is that uh, that's also uh, where you, um, I don't know, maybe not focus your marketing, but where you do a lot of marketing is um, trying to approach business people or business communities that are, 
uh, involved in, I don't know, trade or business relations between the two countries. Can you tell us just a little bit about how that works? Yes, that's sort of my approach because those are my target clients, but I don't have one single method. I uh, try to contact companies in that are involved in the Swedish American Chamber of Commerce, but actually one of my most successful marketing strategies have been my website. People mm -hmm. found me through my website. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, because um, you're also very active on social media. And I imagine that you uh, use social media not only to, you know, share things and interesting articles you write, but um, to also proactively approach um, prospective clients, um, or maybe get in touch with colleagues. Yes, because I live in a, in a, in a mountain resort town, and there are not many companies here that do business with Sweden. So I have <laughs> to, I don't live where my clients live so i have to market sort of online which is now much easier i mean because of the internet than it probably was like 10 or 20 years ago yes. <laughs> where it would have been maybe even impossible to um to do that uh, which i suppose is also the reason that you like being in professional associations is to you know to be able to meet people reach out to people um and and make contacts with uh, with colleagues like in ata for example yes and I am also very involved in the translation community because of my sort of side, not business, but my passion, which is to train mm. other freelance translators uh, and give them marketing skills. And you do that by giving presentations, for example, at industry events like the ATA conference, right? Yes. ATA and conferences in Europe, whenever that fits into the schedule and webinars and of course the podcast marketing tips for translators and the book mm. the marketing cookbook for translators that's a very good segue actually because i wanted to talk about the podcast next okay. <laughs> um because for those listeners who don't know uh tess witty has a very uh well-made very interesting uh podcast marketing tips for translators which is exactly about that so marketing for translators and you manage to have uh, always very interesting guests who have a lot to share about the profession, about how to market and how to be productive and, and make use of better use of your time and, and so on and so forth. So I, I was wondering how you came up with the idea to start a podcast, because my impression is that you've been doing this for a while now. Mm -hmm. I started it in, I think, January 2014, so two years. And I... I, I was sort of at a, a plateau in my business and I wanted to do something else. I've always in, been enjoying training, training people and helping people. And I wanted to have some sort of, I, I, I started with doing presentations at ATA and, and mm -hmm. so forth and was using my, my skills in marketing and my background in marketing that has helped me a lot in my business to uh, to share that with other translators and then i i sort of got into the entrepreneur business online business um, realm and started listening to other podcasts business podcasts and marketing podcasts and i i found it very convenient because i can do that when i'm driving in the car or walking the dog or exercising on in the gym and 
yeah. so forth. So I, that sort of gave birth to the idea, why, why don't I do a podcast? Because I don't have so much time to read all the blog posts that are the, being published these days. And they're very valuable, but I just don't have that time to to read all of them anymore. And since I was consuming a lot of information by podcast, I thought I would share information by by podcast. Uh-huh. So that was the idea. And uh, I do about every 10 episodes at the moment is a solo podcast with my own tips. I don't know if that's going to change in the future, but the rest are interviews with other tr- freelance translators most of the time or interpreters. I sh- want to do more interpreters. So if you have any tips, please let me know. And, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, also, other experts in the industry, I also have had the author of The Wealthy Freelancer and the author of uh, Get Clients Now. And, uh, mm. and uh, yeah, whenever I find some interesting information, usually they've done a presentation or a book or something, and then I ask them to uh, be on the podcast. Yeah. And and I suppose usually, I mean, that's at least my experience as a podcast. It's not too difficult to find people. I mean, it's always difficult to organize and find a date and that kind of thing. But usually people are very willing to share um, their information. And what I also like about uh, podcasts is that it's almost a bit like, um, you know, sharing something with the community and helping build the community because uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself as well especially about tech and uh, many of the people on those podcasts are really um, you know very important figures for the whole community the tech community or the apple community let's say and and I find it uh, you know I, th- I think it's really nice to to hear from all those people and and to hear them speak and talk on on podcasts and share their knowledge I really appreciate that which is wh- why I was very glad to find your uh, podcast when I was trying to find you know podcasts from the language industry that there isn't all that much i think unless you have found something that you uh maybe want to share well i listen to edgan diaz freelance podcast too and then i also listen to other entrepreneur podcasts but in the language industry there's also the 100 translation podcast with paul Irwin and corinne and eve um, have the speaking of translation podcast. They don't they don't podcast that regularly, but but it's still there. Um, so many people have so many things to share, and everyone has something to share that's valuable for other people. And that's what I try to bring out to the community because almost anyone has some good tip or information to share that other can benefit from and podcasts listening to podcasts is such an intimate way of sharing it you usually listen more longer to a podcast than you read a blog post or um, you have them right in your ear (laughs) yeah it's more engaging in a way isn't it maybe just a final recommendation um you also have a book and you've mentioned it a bit earlier uh about um translation marketing and it's called a, a cookbook. Maybe you can just quickly explain the idea behind it because uh, I found that an interesting approach with the uh, recipes, I think, that you use in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, I. Uh, there are many books out there in the translation industry, many good ones um, that I do recommend too. I wanted to focus on marketing and I wanted to write a book and uh, 
I, I think I listened to a podcast and it said, what's your recipe for success? And, and they <laughs> yeah. had the cook, the, the, the recipe analogy. And that's when I decided that that's an easy way to share practical tips, marketing tips. So I wanted to do it in recipe format because the reader doesn't have to read the book from cover to cover uh, because it starts very basic and it, then it advances, um, hence the appetizer, main course, dessert yeah. division. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you can just, whatever you want to focus on at the moment, you can pick that recipe and it has sort of step-by-step -step instructions and the ingredients you need to, to develop your LinkedIn site or your website or to work on your networking or publicity or how to approach direct clients and so forth. So the, that's how I got the recipe idea and that's why it became a cookbook. I imagine that's also a very good approach for people who are relatively new in the profession because especially in the beginning, uh, I think it can seem so overwhelming when everybody tells you, yeah, you have to do marketing and you know have to mm -hmm. do this and have to do that. And uh, if you have it sort of broken down into smaller steps, it's probably much easier to start doing something and not to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, but even for, for experienced translators, I've heard them, they've found it very valuable because they can focus on the more advanced um, tips and, and everybody have gotten some sort of new information from, from, from the book that they found valuable. And I've even heard from, for example, Ed Gandia, the, the wealthy freelancer author, Mm -hmm. said that this book is great for other freelancers too. Well, that's great. My husband wants me to to rewrite it for all freelancers, but that's that's another <laughs> that's another life. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a task, right? Yeah. Um to do that. So Tess, if people want to uh maybe see you live or uh, follow one of your trainings, do you have anything coming up, anything planned for the next weeks and months where people can uh, learn more? Yes. I will do an ATA webinar at the end of April. I am doing the keynote speech and a workshop for the Colorado Translators Association at the end, like third week of April. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing a webinar series for the Columbia Translators Association. But live then after the Colorado Translators Association will be in June in Porto for the that Translators Association, and of course, in the fall for ATA, that's what's been planned. Well, all. that sounds sounds very good. If I can combine my trips to Europe with, if I can combine several events together, then I then I go. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> It's quite a, still quite an endeavor, um, that kind of travel. So yes. it would make sense to combine it. Excellent. Um, so we'll, we'll share all the information through the show notes as well. And we'll let people know where they can find you online as well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And uh, I, I, I enjoy your podcast too. And I hope the listeners will find something useful from this one. I'm quite sure they will. Yes. And it was really uh, nice to talk to a fellow language industry podcaster. Thanks for being on the show, Tess. Thank you. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode of LangFM, please tell your friends or colleagues about it. 
And why not check out my website at www.langfm.audio to listen to my earlier conversations about language, technology and communication. You can subscribe to the podcast to make sure you'll never miss another episode. I would love for you to listen in again. Talk to you next time.